When we think about these challenges, they're really opportunities for investors because we're looking for companies that are providing the tools, technologies, services to service this economy of the future. So that's how we think about coming up with long-term investment themes. This month on Ebb and Flow, we speak with Wall Street's theme queen. Her name is Laura Kane, the senior UBS strategist whose job it is to identify trends and themes now and in the future and find ways to invest in them. We'll talk about themes we can predict, like the U.S. election, themes that surprise us like COVID-19, and those not-so-distant pie-in-the-sky themes that may change the world forever. So if you sometimes wonder, as I do, what's the next big thing? We think you'll find this conversation especially interesting. On behalf of UBS Long River Wealth Management, welcome to this month's edition of Ebb and Flow. Laura, I will admit I'm really excited about our conversation today. First of all, I think you have the coolest job out there looking for trends and themes now and in the future and, of course, figuring out ways to invest in them. And I know you're very good at what you do, which brings me to my first question. Is it true they call you the theme queen on Wall Street? And how do you feel about that nickname? (laughs) That is true. (laughs) And I feel pretty good about it. That's a great first question, Paul. So, Laura, we're going to get to the process you use to uncover new themes that are out there, which I think is really fascinating. But let's start with two themes that have uncovered themselves, so to speak, namely the U.S. election and COVID-19. How are you considering these two dominant headlines in a thematic context? Sure. So that's a great place to start, Paul. And you're right. So we do have a thematic framework, which forms the basis of many of our thematic ideas. But sometimes there are events, both expected, as is the case in the election, and unexpected, which COVID-19, of course, would be an example that come along and influence our thinking on thematic opportunities. So let's start with COVID-19 and then we can talk about the election as well. So COVID-19 actually accelerated some of the long-term trends that form the foundation of many of our thematic ideas. So directionally, we're still heading to the same place, but perhaps a bit faster than expected. So the first major trend I would point to is what we call the transition to digital lifestyle. And this is probably something that's very familiar to our listeners today, since we're all experiencing this in real time during the pandemic. But everything that we're doing from working, learning to shopping and entertainment is increasingly taking place online. And during the pandemic, with the economic lockdowns that we saw, it was almost a real time experiment in terms of just how much we could do without ever leaving our home. So there are, of course, a number of investment implications attached to this trend. So you know, first, it's the technology themselves. So we talk about this set of enabling technologies that are having a disruptive effect across many different industries. And these are things like digital data, cloud computing, artificial intelligence. All of these are becoming more mainstream and having a more widespread impact. I would also add cybersecurity to that list. Uh, Of course, with more of us working remote and having more and more internet-connected devices out there, there's an ever-increasing risk of uh, cybersecurity hacks. So that is another technology I would focus on in the decade ahead. In terms of cross-sector implications from digital lifestyles, uh, there's really many different ones that I could point to. I'll just touch on some of the key ones uh, that have come to light during the pandemic. Uh, E-commerce, of course. We all have those Amazon packages piling up at our doors. And 
we actually saw that during the pandemic, the share of retail sales that were taking place online actually doubled during those peak months of the pandemic, so April and May, for example. And we're also seeing more and more things being purchased online. So groceries were another big trend during this time. And this has implications, you know, not just for retail, but even the real estate sector, industrial companies like logistics and packaging companies. So this is a very widespread thematic opportunity. We also saw implications for the financial sector in terms of fintech and online payments. Health tech is another area. Uh, We saw a surge in usage of telemedicine platforms during the pandemic. So all of these tie back to this trend of uh, faster digital transformation and how it's affecting all the different industries across the economy. Now, another major trend I'd point to that's been accelerated is this notion of becoming less global. So for decades, we talked about uh, the globalization trend. And now with the pandemic, we saw many of the risks in our supply chain become exposed. And there's now a greater desire to move manufacturing closer to home. So we think this onshoring trend is something that's going to play out over the next decade. And the good news is, is that technologies like automation software, digital tools, robotics, these are all making it possible to produce some goods locally mm. at comparable cost to the emerging world. So this would provide a boost to a theme like robotics and automation. That is one of our long-term themes. So, you know, as I said, with COVID-19, it's really about this acceleration that we've seen of a couple of these long-term trends. And that's actually given a boost to some of the long-term themes that we've detailed in the past. Fascinating. Now, as far as the election, you know, it's been interesting. We've seen that the markets have reacted rather kindly to this uh, divided government scenario. And I think it's really all about just getting more clarity on the election outcome. We know that markets don't like political uncertainty, so there's definitely a sense of relief behind some of the moves that we're seeing in markets. And this, again, has some implications for our long-term themes and how we think about them. So, you know, yes, we still feel that those digital themes accelerated by COVID-19 are important, but I would also focus on areas like 5G, for example. Um, You know, this is a technology that really enjoys bipartisan support. So in a divided government scenario, this is a theme that continues to look strong. And we also don't expect the stance on China to change that much. And tensions over 5G technology actually bodes well for local players. Hmm. And then the other area that I would highlight in relation to the election is some of our, you know, more green or sustainability-related themes. We do think that, you know, if Biden is president, that he will have a favorable uh, regulatory environment for some of these green initiatives. Now, of course, with the Republican Senate, we don't expect him to be able to fully pass his proposed climate plan. But that being said, we do think that a number of the long-term drivers for sustainability-oriented themes are still in place. We have a lot of policy support coming from uh, some of the world's biggest economies like Europe and China. We're seeing improving economics for renewable energy, and we're also seeing technologies improve in the vehicle electrification space. So there's a lot of drivers at work here, and even though we didn't necessarily get that blue weight outcome that would have been the most supportive for some of these themes, we still do feel that the kind of medium to long-term story looks very compelling, even though we may see some volatility in the near term. Well, wow, great thoughts there and a lot to unpack. I, I'm particularly interested in the idea of robotics being the way to lower the cost. You know, if you bring certain parts of the supply chain or 
the assembly here into the U.S., obviously that would raise costs, but the robotics would be a way to, to bring them down again, I think is what you were saying, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, that's exactly right. That's interesting stuff. So, Laura, when you don't have an obvious event around which to craft a theme like a, you know, a pandemic or an election, how do you go about identifying those themes that might be out there that nobody knows about? What's the process? Yeah, so we do try to orient ourselves around a common framework of drivers. Um, clearly, when you're trying to come up with themes that have a decade-plus horizon, uh, you know, it's a humbling experience. Uh, there's uh, certainly a lot of things that don't play out the way that you might expect. So the way we kind of try to um, balance out some of those risks is by focusing on some secular trends that we feel are almost certain to play out. So examples of that would be demographic changes, so things like aging and and longevity trends, population growth patterns. We also look at um, technological advances and changes to resource availability, so looking at how water supply is changing, expectations for energy demand. So these are the types of trends that we look at and try to understand And really, our goal is to try to paint a picture of what the future world is going to look like and try to understand where there's going to be pockets of above trend. So, you know, when you look at some of these uh, trends that I mentioned, we see that in the future, the world is going to face certain environmental and social challenges, for example. So we could see uh, water shortages. We're going to have more people that are of advanced age. So there's going to be increased rates of certain types of age-related diseases like cancer and heart disease. We're seeing increased demand for energy. We're seeing infrastructure fall short of needs in many emerging cities. So when we think about these challenges, they're really opportunities for investors because we're looking for companies that are providing the tools, technologies, services to service this economy of the future. So that's how we think about coming up with long-term uh, investment themes. And then I would also add that, you know, it's not just about coming up with the theme itself. That, that's really a thoughtful process, but also in terms of how to invest in the theme. And I touched on this a little bit when we talked about e-commerce earlier. Mm. What we try to do is take an, an ecosystem approach. So when you're talking about one of these evolving trends or pockets of future growth, you don't want to just invest in the most obvious companies. You want to think about what are all the different types of companies that are tied to this theme or trend? Because that's where you'll sometimes find the, the better price opportunities that perhaps other investors have missed. So it's thinking about the themes and then really trying to think about what are the best ways to invest in that particular theme in terms of companies that have exposure to it. So what are some of the most compelling long-term themes you're tracking right now using this process? So, I mean, I would say that, you know, this past year, we've had a big focus on digital themes. And and we talked about some of those. And I would say those are certainly still relevant. And in many cases, we feel that the business models for some of these companies, you know, they're actually better positioned now than they were prior to the pandemic. So some of that increased demand and increased traction is going to be steady. But that being said, we also want to be conscious looking forward of diversifying our thematic exposure, right? So there are other themes out there that extend beyond the digital domain. So in terms of some places that were focused, 5G, we touched on a little bit earlier, but 5G infrastructure is a really interesting opportunity. We feel that 
the build out of 5G is an inevitable trend. So it's not if, but when and how. And it's going to really form a core component of the next generation of IT infrastructure. And it's going to support this more virtual, uh, more digital world that we are finding ourselves living in. And we feel that it is a good time to be investing in this technology. If you look at research from Gartner, they project that 5G infrastructure is set to triple over the next few years. And our preferred way for investors to get exposure to this thematic area is on the infrastructure side rather than smartphone makers. So I think that's a pretty you know, unique approach and view that we have. And you know, we recommend looking at select uh, network equipment and tower companies that have exposure to the build out of 5G, not just because the valuations are attractive, but we also feel that these companies are going to benefit first from the trend Mm -hmm. and that there's room for disappointment on the smartphone side due to kind of out of reach pricing for some customers and also spotty 5G coverage across the country still. So for us, investing in smartphones is kind of putting the cart before the horse when it turns when it comes to investing in 5G. Another place to look, healthcare. So, you know, the sector should benefit from a relief of political uncertainty post-election. And while the sector does tend to be more defensive, there are some areas within healthcare that should benefit from the post-COVID recovery, like medical devices and life science equipment. And there's really a vast number of long-term themes that we have within the healthcare sector. So we have themes around genetic therapies, oncology, health tech we talked about. So there's a, a really a broad brush of opportunities there. So Laura, I heard you once mention, I want to get back to the technology side for a minute. You once mentioned that sometimes it takes finding a use for a technology before it really can take off. And you used GPS as an example. Can you talk about that example and maybe apply it to a current technology that's not yet, shall we say, fully understood? Yeah. So, you know, oftentimes we see that Technology take off in applications that are very different from their original intended use. Mm. And oftentimes there's like a missing link uh, in terms of another piece of technology that's needed to really unleash the full potential of, of that emerging technology. And you bring up GPS and, you know, that is a great example. Um, GPS was originally created for military purposes. But today, as you know, we use it in our cars. We use it when we go for a run. We pretty much be lost without it. So it really wasn't until the smartphone came about that this technology really became a fixture in our everyday lives, right? So that was the missing link in terms of being able to fully unleash the power of GPS and have it really transform our kind of day-to-day. So as investors, you know, we're always looking for that next GPS type technology. I mean, oftentimes it's, it's difficult to really understand. We may be aware of a technology, but maybe we don't have a full grasp of how it can be used in the future. So in terms of, you know, what could be one of these examples of a next GPS, there's probably many different technologies I could point to, but one of the ones that we're excited about is augmented and virtual reality technologies. Hmm. So these technologies, you know, they both deliver digital experiences to users. Virtual reality is more immersive in that it often replaces a user's entire field of vision and leads the brain to sense that the virtual experience is fully real, whereas augmented reality is about adding on to reality, so it enhances reality rather than replaces, as a virtual reality would do. So in terms of you know how we're seeing these technologies be used today, 
It's mostly in the entertainment sector. So we're all familiar with Pokemon Go and, <laughs> and games and things like that. So that's, that's kind of been the, the first use cases. But we think that it can go much beyond that for these technologies. So, you know, with augmented reality, we're seeing, for example, some retailers use augmented reality capabilities to, for example, if you're shopping for furniture, you can kind of see or visualize how the furniture might look in your home by using AR technology. So this is just one example of how it can be used kind of cross industries Hmm. to enhance consumers' experiences. And then on the virtual reality side, again, you know, this is a technology that, you know, it was first thought of more than 50 years ago, but really hasn't been able to take off yet. And we're seeing, you know, beyond the applications for entertainment, it could really be uh, transformative in the education sector um, in terms of being used to help with things like technical training. It could be used as part of ed tech platforms and to enhance kind of in-classroom experiences. So that's one really interesting area. And then healthcare. Healthcare is another big one. So telemedicine, yes, is kind of the start of the digitization of healthcare delivery. But think about what virtual reality could do. I mean, it's already being used in emergency rooms to allow a doctor to kind of examine a patient uh, while being socially distanced in another room. But there's so many other ways that this technology could be used. So interesting. I, I suspect that blockchain is another example of this, and it had to be more time we could talk about that and, and others. I, I love the thought of GPS at one point being something that was there that nobody really knew what to do with. And now, as you said, we'd literally be lost without it. So fascinating stuff. So Laura, in terms of sort of the logistics of all this, how does one actually invest in long-term themes? Is it something that you know, as an investor, you do with sort of your play money, or is it more of a core approach in your view? Or is this maybe something for, you know, certain buckets of your assets, long term legacy assets, etc? What are your thoughts there? Yes, I mean, I think it can be a little bit of everything depending on who the individual investor is, it could certainly be a part of a longevity strategy. I mean, these long term themes are meant to represent pockets of above trend future growth and we benchmark them versus a traditional global equity benchmark. So they're meant to be sources of excess return. You know, in terms of how to allocate, I would say of course it depends on the individual financial situation and risk tolerance and, you know, even the composition of the existing portfolio. So in that sense we definitely recommend working with a financial advisor to determine how much to allocate to thematic strategies. But broadly I would say that if you invest in a diversified way, and whether that means using a multi-thematic managed product or building your own custom combination of themes, I do believe that thematic investing could certainly form a core piece of a client's you know, particular equity strategy. Now, I mean, the, the point on legacy is also a very interesting one. We are seeing clients incorporate themes into their legacy allocations. Many of the themes that we cover are considered sustainable investments in the sense that they address social and environmental challenges and align with the UN Sustainable Development Goals. So themes around you know, water scarcity, food revolution, even themes like renewables, these would all be considered sustainable. And in this sense, when clients are thinking about the legacy they would like to leave, sustainable themes are a great way to target that. They also tend to resonate very well with the next generation. So oftentimes when parents are considering what to invest in for their legacy strategy, they're also have their kids in mind in terms of bringing them into the conversation and appealing to their interests as well. And then finally, I would say that, you know, legacy investments tend to be a little bit more 
growth focus and have that long-term orientation. So, you know, this is a chance to kind of incorporate maybe some single themes, more targeted areas, if that's of interest and kind of fits in with the client's particular, you know, risk tolerance and objectives. So I would say definitely can fit in longevity and legacy and could definitely be a core part of the equity strategy as well. Sounds good. Sounds good. Interesting stuff. So Laura, a final question for you here today, and it has to do with sort of this year and and what's to come. I mean, I think it's safe to say that humanity has had a difficult year in 2020 for obvious reasons. So I was struck by the title of a recent report that your team put out called The Future of Humans. And I have to say, I'm curious, what does the future of humanity look like? Yeah, so this is our our latest piece, you're right. And in the paper, again, there's a lot you could talk about when it comes to the future of humans, but we focus on how demographic and technological changes are going to shape the human experience. So there's really three key areas that we focus on. So education, in terms of how, what, and when we learn, we're seeing that there's a big gap today between the skills that our current education system delivers and those required in an increasingly digital world. So we expect to see ed tech platforms play a big role in transforming education in terms of you know expanding access to education around the world, but also you know filling that skill gap in terms of you know companies offering online trainings and things like that to keep their workforce up to date with this quickly changing economy. Health is another big area we touched on earlier, some of the trends that we're seeing with aging. We're also seeing the nature of disease change in emerging markets, more age-related, more lifestyle diseases. So when we think about managing health going forward, we're definitely going to see technology play a big role. We touched on telemedicine, but also wearables and digital platforms are going to be another interesting development for managing chronic diseases like diabetes. And we also discuss a number of emerging technologies like genetic therapies, robotic surgery, liquid biopsies are just a few of the ones that we discuss in the paper. And then finally, uh, the existential question we cover, you know, what makes us happy and will we be happier or less happy in the future? So we never thought we'd go there with a financial report, but (laughs) we did have some very interesting and also investable findings. I would say, you know, a quick summary is that money can't buy you happiness. So we don't see a perfect correlation between GDP growth and human happiness. There's many other factors in terms of, you know, relationships, overall health and fitness freedom, life expectancy, all of these things play into our happiness. And you know, one interesting takeaway that we had was that we look forward, technology is going to be a big factor. So technology is a double-edged sword. It can you know, definitely detract from happiness in terms of all the issues with screen time. That's something that's been an issue during the pandemic, of course, with people experiencing increased uh, feelings of isolation and anxiety. But Technology can also be a solution to its own problem, I guess, in terms of, you know, digital fitness platforms, teletherapy apps. So Mm. we explore how technology is going to, you know, both be a detractor and also a contributor to our future happiness. But, you know, it's certainly an interesting factor to think about that may not have played as big of a role in, in the past. Well, Laura, I want to thank you on behalf of my partners, Tom Lips and Andrew Worthington, Ashley Martella and Paula Johnston. I could obviously talk to you about these things all day, all year, but I suspect you have other things you need to get back to. So we'll let you go with our thanks. Really much appreciated. Fascinating stuff. Fascinating stuff.